Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Wherever you are in the world, I'm so happy to have you back here at The Caring Economy with Toby Usnick. Today's guest is Patrick Robinson, a friend for many decades now. He is the CEO and founder of Pasco, a fantastic clothing line we're going to explore today. Uh, I'm going to ask him to tell you a little bit about his background because it's awesome, as is Patrick, but you will know the brands that he has been associated with in leadership roles, including The Gap, Paco Rabanne, Perry Ellis, and more. So with no further ado, Patrick Robinson, welcome to The Caring Economy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Patrick, as we always ask our guests at the beginning of the show, uh, tell us a little bit about your personal narrative, uh, how you uh, sort of younger got inspired into a certain trajectory mm -hmm. and then as you went through your career maybe briefly where you studied and why and then um, your career journey and if you could also share some of the pivots you had to make along the way when yeah. you left when others went right uh, yeah yeah it seems to be my ongoing uh, life trajectory of consistently <laughs> going the opposite of the crowd but you know I I, I was um, I was fortunate to figure out early in my life, what I sort of fell in love with, with, which was making clothes and really just being creative and making things with my hands. Um, and it truly, truly sort of clicked in my head. I, I grew up in Southern California. I was a surfer, I surfed every day um, because that's what you do when you grow up in Southern California in those days. Um, and I, yeah, completely. <laughs> and I, um, I, I, started looking around, you know, I, I, I made my surf, I made surfboards and I, I created, I was creating all sorts of things with my hands. And one day I was looking around, looking at all my friends and sort of dug all their, it was Quicksilver and Quicksilver mm. was a small, cool company in um, California then. I'm still as cool, but this, this idea popped into my head that I could actually do that. I could make shorts, these amazing, fun shorts for all my friends, all my buddies who surf. And that sort of kicked me off on this, this crazy tangent of thinking about how to make clothes and really thinking about people and clothes and how clothing, for me, tells the story of who they are. Mm -hmm. And being a surfer, your clothes are completely about being laid back, cool and hip, but sort of flashy and fun. Um, amazing. It, it launched me into having my first business at 14 years old. I... Um, really fun. I, I, I used to make shorts all one size for men and women, girls and boys, wherever we were called teenagers then. Um, and the cool thing was I would go to a fabric store and buy all the old remnants. And my company today actually follows a little bit of this kind of a full pivot all the way around, but I used to go and buy fabric remnants at a fabric store and then make multiple shorts with all crazy patterns from florals to polka dots to stripes to plaids whatever I could find, it was all about pattern. The next day I just come to school with this big bag full of shorts that I'd made the night before. And all my friends and everyone in the school, you had to prepay me. So you had to pre, it was a brilliant business, prepay me for the shorts. And it was a first come first serve to pick your shorts. So if you saw me first, you had you know, 30, 40 shorts to pick from. Um, but if you saw me at the end of the day, there was one short left, it was yours. Um, so <laughs> how, did you, how did you establish a price for that, those shorts? I forget. I, I just made, I think I just looked at what quick, so it was really looking at like other businesses at that point, because I was a 14 year old saying like, how do you even price something? Sure. Um, okay. And how do you price your time? And basically I just looked at uh, other shorts and said, well, let's just be competitive with Quicksilver. Awesome. Um, so we, we pretty much made them in that price point. 
And that sort of set me off on the idea of what I wanted to do for my um, career. I remember seeing in, you know, as we all did back in those days, you sat in a class at when you were a senior, junior, um, and they showed you different types of careers. And I remember them popping up this picture of Jeffrey Banks and Calvin Klein and a few other designers. And they said, you could be you know, a designer. And I looked at them and goes, I'm already doing that. <laughs> that, that, that would be easy. So that set me off. Um, and and at, the, at that point, my father was a doctor, um, an OBGYN that delivered babies. And I thought I was going to follow. I thought he wanted me to, to follow his footsteps and become a doctor. Mm -hmm. um, and so I actually applied to pre-med school in, to make him happy and applied to uh, Parsons in New York. Mm -hmm. which was what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, and lucky for me, I, I was accepted into the pre-med, but I was also accepted into Parsons. And I remember having to have, I remember my father was cooking in the kitchen and I knew, like, I was terrified to go have this conversation with him that I wanted to go to art school. I wanted to go, in, you know, this creative path. And not in my stomach, I interrupt him while he's cooking and go through his long spiel about why I want, don't want to go to pre-med and blah, blah, blah. And he turns to me, he goes, I am so happy. I never understood why you wanted to be a doctor. It never made sense to me, but I would never tell you what not to do. And I'm so happy because I always wanted to go into a creative field. And back then, and when he was coming up, you know, a black man who had his, his intelligence and his grades, you, you would never allow that child to you know, go be an artist. Right. He was really said, you have to go be a doctor because that was the highest um, uh, thing a, a black man okay. could do. Yeah, it's an option um, for someone in the South. And so he has spent his whole life loving being a doctor, but really wanting something else out of his life. Mm -hmm. um, so and long story, that's a whole nother story. We can go off on our time, but that's, that landed me in New York um, at 17 years old after I graduated from high school, showed up at Parsons and spent um, a couple, just I think the first year in New York and then um, had this wonderful opportunity to go to Paris and study in Paris. So I went to Paris and studied for two years. And actually Parsons? while I was- Sorry, was that with Parsons? That was, yeah. it was, it was Parsons had just opened a campus mm -hmm. and, in conjunction with the American College in, in uh, Paris. And so I went for the next two years. I was supposed to go for one year, but who leaves Paris? Mm -hmm. um, and I went for the next two years to Paris and I actually, I actually was fortunate to work for Patrick Kelly. And that was my first job. I was an assistant to the amazing Patrick Kelly um, who was you know, uh, the black designer who broke into the world of French fashion. Um, and he was just an amazing, noble, generous human being. Mm -hmm. And really just even pushed me even further to go after and learn my craft. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I came back to New York and was able to get another job as a senior um, working for another company called Albert Nippon. I don't think they're around anymore, but it was a, you know, a tr very traditional Chanel, American Chanel was the way people described it. Um, amazing house and I went there and worked. And by the time I graduated from um, uh, college, I had had enough experience that six months out of school, um, the, the job I took as an assistant to someone, the, the company actually removed the, my boss and put me in their position as the designer. And so I was a designer pretty much right out of school. Um, 
And from that, I was hired um, at when I was 24 years old, I was hired by Giorgio Armani to um, run his white label collection and be the head designer for that. And I moved to Italy and moved to Milan and lived there for five years and took one of his businesses that was failing at the time um, and turned it around and made it one of the best, it was the best selling collection in every country in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that took my career to a place where from then on, I was known as the guy with your company was broken or you wanted to sell it. I was the guy you came and hired. Um, so um, all the companies you mentioned, um, the next one was Ann Klein that I helped them turn it around and, and they sold that company. Then um, I believe it was Perry Ellis, um, Paco Rabanne, The Gap. Um, and then I had the, the amazing opportunity to work with your husband. Um, at our, I, when I came back to Armani, he hired me to come back to Armani uh, right before we launched Pasco. Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, again today we have Patrick Robinson, who is the CEO and founder of Pasco, a uh, really exciting global fashion brand. Um, Patrick, tell us then, so you and Harlan meet each other at Armani Exchange, your designer there for menswear, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, for Armani Exchange, it, um, it was men's and women's when I worked with Harlan. Um, but we, I had known you and Harlan for, I don't forget how we met, I guess no, for my wife. My wife also worked for Harlan. Yes, Virginia Smith, who's a- When Harlan was the president of Calvin. Uh, Harlan was, you're your, uh, right, it was Calvin. Harlan was the chief marketing officer and Virginia Smith, your wife, lovely wife, uh, was in the uh, media relations area at Calvin. Yeah. And so yeah. they were together and coincidentally to all of us, we found out that we lived within a block in the West Village <laughs> and had a home in the Hudson Valley, a block from each other and both had Jack Russell Terriers. <laughs> yep, <laughs> meant to be, meant to be. <laughs> Um, so, um, so you, 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 then you were at, Cal, uh, sorry, at Armani Exchange with uh, Harlan for those years. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, and then I realized, yeah, then from there, I realized, um, you know, I saw, I saw at, when I was ending my time at Armani Exchange, um, and, uh, easing opportunity that was appearing, um, that so many other people had seen it, right. Maybe I'm a hard hit and it took me a while but you start seeing that there was this opportunity to have a different conversation with consumer products, mm-hmm. all consumer products, including clothes, and that there was this opportunity to start thinking more responsibly mm-hmm. how they were manufactured and, and socially also, but the social then in my head was more of the, the people who actually made the products mm-hmm. um, and that you were going into good factories and those factories were um, very well run and that you started to rethink the fabric, which was which is such a huge problem Yes, um, with, right. yeah, um, from the carcinogens of all of the chemicals that are put in, into it, from the dyes to the over manufacturing to the landfills that it ends up in afterwards, um, into our, our overproduction of clothes in general. So I launched, um, I decided to launch a brand called Pasco, um, which means passion in ancient Greek because. Um, it truly was my passion um, when I launched it. And this funny word, this funny Greek word, which truly means it doesn't mean the passion, like I'm passionate about peanut butter. It's like all things Greek, right? It's mm-hmm. that it's being passionate about something that is that if you love it, it's also going to be painful that mm-hmm. you're going to have those that it's it's the true, <laughs> true meaning, like and everything, everything ancient Greek has to have that true, true meaning. Yes. Um, but I launched Pasco about five years ago now, and we we launched it with the idea 
that we would make clothes um, and more, I guess they, people call them athleisure, but we really thought of, of using responsibly made technical fabrics and really thinking about clothes that you could do everything in your life and that you could actually wear them and climb a mountain and you could go to dinner in New York City um, mm. with the same outfit and everything in between. And so we targeted when we first came out and started talking about that, people had no idea what we were talking about. So we targeted travel because we thought people always want to travel with less that can do more with them. And that's where the brand started. And we sort of took off from there and customers are, once they wore the clothes on a trip, they were, they came back and bought more of the clothes because they wanted to make their whole wardrobe that because they realized that they could actually do more with less. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the interesting part is just like that, that surfer 14 year old child, I started 100% of the business with reclaimed fabrics. Um, so again, remnant fabrics. We went into factories that were going to destroy or send to landfill the, the remnants of their fabric. And some of these remnants were 5,000 meters of fabric. Wow. Um, um, so you were sort of upcycling, in a sense, of <clears throat> these remnant materials. Exactly, exactly. And still, um, I would say um, up to the day, we probably still have 40%, 35, 40% of our fabrics are still those where um, that we go and we find um, uh, fabrics um, that are going to end up in landfills. And there's a whole long explanation of why that happens. But the quick, the quick one is, is when fabrics are made and shipped to a, a factory, the company that takes in those those uh, those fabrics takes them in tax-free and the governments of uh, most especially in asia allows those fabrics to come in tax-free if the company the company if a company comes in only uses part of those fabrics for their production but then leaves the rest um the fabrics the the government will charge after one year that factory tax on the mm. um, fabrics and unless they destroy them and so most companies destroyed the fabric because they don't want to pay the tax. So uh, there's amazing opportunity right there. There's actually a great business that someone could do, I've always thought, around the world of saving those fabrics. Yeah. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, stay with us. Today we have uh, Patrick Robinson, who's the CEO and founder of Pasco. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, again, ladies and gentlemen, today we're honored to have Patrick Robinson with us, the CEO and founder of Pasco, a global uh, fantastic athleisure wear, I guess we would call it today, clothing line. Patrick, when you're talking about the remnants and the, the materials that you use, could you also talk a little bit about the how you do it, the people part? Because yeah. you're really about the community that is creating these works with you, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's a recent, you know, that's a recent thing that um, that happened in COVID. And I'll, 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 we started Pasco and we were making in a very responsible company, but it was it's a, a responsible company based in China and Laos. Um, and it's one company is called uh, KTC and they're phenomenal. They're probably the best in the world for manufacturing this type of clothes. And they, they make brands like Rafa and Architerics and all of the high end performance clothing. Um, and it's, it's Germans and Austrians who own it and run it. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a Swiss watch. Um, it's such a responsible factory that I always said if I was going to pick a factory, and I think this is important for anyone who picks factories, I always said that I needed to be able to go there and work. Um, and this factory actually, not only do I go there and work when I did use them, I go there and I actually stay there. I stay in the dorms mm -hmm. because the dorms are actually nicer than the four or five star hotel down the street. <laughs> it's a, just a phenomenal, phenomenally run um, factory. However, 
after a few years, we get into COVID and we're going through the, the process of COVID. And I'm, 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 as you say, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very aware of the people that we surround ourselves with. We actually took, as other companies were letting people go and furloughing people, my entire team, we turn, I turned to them on the first day that we sort of had to shut down in New York and said, we will get to this all together. Every one of us will make it to the other side of this. And I'm proud to say that my entire team is still in place. Yeah. Not only did they all make their salaries without reduction, we paid all of their health care throughout, as we always do. Leadership. Good for you. Yeah. But, the, but, it, but that goes to what I think you were um, bringing up, which is we get through COVID and you know, my company, I bring up the responsible part. We were always focused on the environment and we were focused on a social part, but in the factory. Mm-hmm. But I, like all of the rest of us, you know, being a black man, um, I start seeing the, 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 the Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. um, um, conversation so popping up. And, yep. and like all of us, I watched Floyd die. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watch it over and over and something just broke in me. Mm-hmm. Something broke open, um, and and it also had to do with seeing the amount of people um, at food banks and hearing how many children go hungry every night in America. It was almost like a bandaid being pulled off of uh, uh, off my heart. Um, mm-hmm. It just opened up my um, something I've been holding back as a black man because, as you mentioned, I've been very successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and but with that success, when I get pulled over which happened recently, um, I was pulled over and my son's in the car and he was much younger then. And he's four, he was 14, 15 years old. And the officer wants to see his drive, his ID. Wow. Um, and what child that's sitting in the back should have to show their ID? He doesn't have ID, but there was a whole converse. There was just, and I was being pulled over for being in the, basically the, the wrong neighborhood. Right. Yes. Um, and asked why, where I was and blah, you know, oh no, no. But every time I walk into a store and if a, a high-end store, I'm followed around by security. So it, it, all of that I've been sort of burying and burying inside myself because I've been so focused on doing the right thing, being successful, mm-hmm. going after my career. COVID and all of the things I just mentioned really ripped something open in me where I started looking around and saying, I, I'm, I'm not having, I'm only talking out of one side of my mouth when I'm talking about the environment without a social cause. Yep. If I'm not helping solve these problems, it's not, I, that's not the company, it's not the, re, re, mm-hmm. the, the conversation I want to have. Um, so we, we, we um, as a company made a huge pivot, but it was truly something that was led by um, this new opening I found in myself of Mm -hmm. what could I do differently? And what we did was we saw the opportunity to move all of our manufacturing back to the US and to actually put all of these people that we were seeing out of work back into work. Um, Because we saw that there's there's a, as we all know, there's a wealth inequality in America. So not only were we going to go and put these people back to work, but we were going to change that whole conversation. So the first part of it was we were just our thought was we put everybody back to work in their homes and that we saw the opportunity to hire um, these amazing seamstresses and tailors and pattern makers and engineers and technical people and have them work out of their homes that had been laid off or highly underemployed or unemployed. Mm -hmm. And we launched it in New York in July. I'm happy to say we're actually shipping those products now. We're shipping products to um, people today. 
Um, we've we've hired we've hired people who uh, worked in um, on Broadway and worked as costumers on Broadway. Some yep. of them worked on Hamilton, mm -hmm. um, and they're now making clothes. Um, we we hired seamstresses and tailors that worked um, in factories and designer showrooms that have been closed, and so just taking putting this 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 crowd back to work, and we're just continuing that. That's um, so again, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, today we have Patrick Robinson on. He's the CEO and founder of Pasco. Patrick, that uh, that that pivot is astonishing, particularly when you think about all the people who are out of work, not just in the creative industries, but writ large. Yeah. Um, how, how many employees do you have now? Well, <laughs> it's, it grows daily, but we went from, um, and, and they're, interestingly enough, they're not employees, right? They're, they're what the world is called. They're, they're, yeah, they're called, the, you know, the horrible uh, name that has gotten the horrible name from the Ubers and Lyfts of the world and of, of a gig worker. But mm -hmm. we saw an opportunity to actually make that better. So they're, 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 those, they're contractors and their individuals can work at will and work when they want. Our goal is to not only, um, is to do a couple of things, pay them a really livable fair wage. Mm -hmm. So New York minimum wage is $15 an hour. We're paying our people between $25 and $30 an hour. And the goal is again at to $35 an hour. Um, and it's because of the change of our model, but it's a, it's a key component of what we want to do. Um, and there, we're setting up a co-op. We're building a co-op for all the makers that they're all going to have equity in the company wow. um, because we want them to have generational wealth and start showing wealth. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if I can state our goal the goal that's in my head um, as we go into other, we're, we're about to go into Alabama. Well, we're going into Alabama. I was there last weekend. I, <laughs> I went for a few days and met outside with uh, the community in Alabama. And we're going to launch the next pod, as we call them, in Alabama with all these incredible makers who have been making quilts since the 19th century. They literally have been making quilts, quilts since slavery. Mm -hmm. um, and they are the, the most they're an American treasure. Um, um, and we're going to be making those. Yeah, we're going to be making them with that. But this this idea of what we're truly doing um, is we're disrupting prop poverty and we're disrupting inequality. And those are the those are our true goals. Yep. And are you how is the sale? How do the sales happen? Are they all online or do you yep. have a brick and mortar as well? How do people find your stuff? What's, what's no, we, we decided because of the economics of it, it's, it's actually really um, uh, powerful to use e-commerce um, because we're using technology to connect with all these people. We're going to begin to tell the stories of all these individual makers, they're going to be the stars of the products. An example would be you buy something from us, you're actually going to be able to, to see and understand who the person that actually made your clothes and not in a superficial way, but actually who this person is. And the more and more we're going, we're going to dive in deeper and deeper into um, these individuals, because I think they've been messing out on the conversation of you know, the consumer products you buy. Absolutely. Are they, but, uh, 
are they connected when you get down to rural Alabama? And I do mean that in the digital sense. Uh, no, no, yeah, no, they are, um, when I was there, the only thing I had was one bar on my phone if I walked around with my, hit, my hand in the sky, right? They, and this is the problem with the rural America. And as we go into, um, as we go into rural America, we see this problem all over. Um, we're actually having to support them and we're looking at bringing in um, uh, a satellite, satellite Wi-Fi to actually um, to, to fix that issue. We're building out a space um, that they'll be able to work in. We're putting, you know, uh, many people in that community, they have phones and the technology, but we want to give them even more um, uh, uh, technology. We're looking for partners um, for, uh, we're reaching out to the, um, the, the, the large service providers there and saying, this is a beautiful story. This would be a first place that you should come and do this because we're, we're investing in this community. We're, th this community we're going into in um, Alabama, th they haven't had jobs in this area since the 60s. Yeah, if even um, then, were they quality yeah. jobs, well-paying yeah. jobs? Yeah, yeah. So th there's an opportunity to tell a story. So what we try to do is go into a community and then bring others with us. Um, and there's some amazing foundations that we're reaching out to. And um, we also believe that we're get some corporate people to come in and start giving some infrastructure, but we have to put that footprint in first. And we'll have this, Alabama will be up and running by March. Congratulations. And then we'll be into our next one. So again, Patrick, tell us what's what's the the website for the company and on social media, Twitter. Uh, what's yeah. your hashtag? So it's all it's all uh, Pasco, P-A-S-K-H-O. Um, so if you just type that in, you'll, it'll take you to our site. That's the same for our Instagram and all of our, our tweets and all the fun stuff. Um, it's a it's it's uh, it's truly becoming. Um, you know, if, if I go back, yeah. yeah. If I go back and say I was, if I've uh, all the things I've done in my career, I've had some amazing opportunities. Nothing has opened up my heart and made me feel as proud as what this is. Because we're not, uh, people go, oh, you're helping people. And I always correct them. The word's not help. We're not helping them. Um, we're not helping actually anyone. It's not a charity. We just see this amazing um, opportunity to tell these people's stories. And all we're doing is is putting opportunity out there. Yeah. Um, and by putting it out there, all of these makers are stepping up and really making a new life for themselves. And our listeners are going to want to support that, I'm sure. Again, ladies and gentlemen, today we have Patrick Robinson, who's the CEO and founder of Pasco. Uh, Patrick, when you spoke earlier about uh, Black Lives Matter, I had the same reaction. It was quite visceral. And um, to your point, this podcast is one of my ways of trying to keep myself honest about that moment and mm -hmm. uh, Taylor and everything that's going on, excuse me, which has continued, right? It's, it's a daily thing. And I'm saying this as a white man, so I, can, I can't yeah. really even imagine walking in your shoes. But um, I do feel that somehow um, I'm making my, I'm doing my part to have conversations like this about what it's like to be an entrepreneur, to be able to be an agent of change, whether it's around race relations or uh, sustainability. Um, so I, I wanna thank you for being a part of this, this show today. Um, and I also wanna just uh, speak a moment to some of our younger listeners who are at that start of their career where they're trying to think about purpose-driven lives, purpose-driven brands, who they wanna be when they grow up. 
you yep. were that surf shortboard uh, maker at 14, but um, what do you say to young people who are thinking about their careers today and, and where they go? Yeah, it, it, you know, it's, it, it's such a powerful question, um, especially today, because so much has changed since I was that 14 year old or that 18 year old or that 20 or 30 year old. Um, and I mean that I, I, I feel I, we hire a lot of young people um, and everyone's younger than me, right? But we hire all these amazing young people and their passion is much faster than what, what, what maybe mine was or what my beliefs of what I could do was. And so I, one of the things I always try to push is, um, and, and I'm gonna correct it after I say it, but is learn the, learn the thing, learn as much about what you wanna do as possible, right? I had to learn my craft. I really spent a lot, a lot of time learning my craft because then I could break it. Then I could, you know, it still comes in handy to me as I build this business now, because you're always going back to those foundations, the foundations of whatever it is you do. Um, but funny enough, I said that to uh, uh, an amazing um, uh, lady, that's a woman that's on our, on our team. And she corrected me and she goes, why would I want to learn how to do it the wrong way? <laughs> I, I thought that was and that's true so so there is power in that there is power in that and I hear that a lot from um a younger generation of you guys have all broken you know you may have learned your craft but you learned your craft the wrong way or maybe you broke that craft and they're right I did learn I learned the craft of of make excess making lots of excess for a lot of the companies so there there's a lot there's a lot there but I would still say Take your take that take that core nugget as a as someone starting off, and take that that um, your core values and beliefs um, and your virtues, right? Even more important than your values, and make sure that you're showing up to actually learn your craft, learn what you're going to do with your life with those intact. Because I think that that will just build a stronger foundation, and you'll be more valuable to any company you walk into. Absolutely. Well, we had a few weeks ago, Brian Bowles on the show. He's uh, at Johns Hopkins and he talked about uh, in the spirit of mentorship, they have launched a program there to, to coach the mentees on how to be good mentees yeah. because there's that exciting charge of youth and that can do spirit, but one needs to put in the time, as you say, make the effort and, and then also reciprocate, right? The mentors, yep. the bosses also want to learn, need to learn in order to make this a pack that works for everyone. Uh, 100%, I, 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 I never stop learning. There's not part of any one of my days I'm not learning. Yep. So um, Patrick, I'm, I'm reminded of um, Shinola actually when you were speaking. I mean, they went into Detroit and I think they changed things up in a good way, but I, I, I also get the feeling that they're a little bit, um, less holistic in how they're thinking about impact. Um, yeah. How do you look at it? Yeah, I, I think what, what they did, um, I think their, their mission is super noble. I think that they're, they're, they, they played a two front, right? They were building infrastructure in a, a, a place that needed infrastructure and bringing back jobs. Um, we're, we're truly looking at a, a, a bigger 
I, I don't mean that in a dismissive way, but we're looking at a bigger American problem. One of our goals is how do we make this national? How do we put enough people back to work um, mm. and truly add value into their lives and give them equity and, and a, 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 not just a, that fake word of a living wage, but a true living wage. And we're, going, we're, we're not measuring ourselves, which is also really important to remember. Um, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to allow every single maker to grade and star the company unfiltered so the customers can see it. So mm -hmm. all the things I'm telling you is, are we gonna pay them a fair wage? Are we using, are we, are we using fair work practices? Um, are they, um, <laughs> do they have a work-life balance? Are we going into their communities and, and helping to build infrastructure and things in their communities? They're gonna be able to grade us and give us, you know, they can give us one star and say, Patrick's a completely lying and never did any of those things. Hopefully we're getting five stars from them and they're saying, yeah, no, they showed up and they did the right thing. Um, because we're gonna be rolling this out across many, many areas, but we're, we're looking, you know, New York was a, a fast and big one. It's a, almost an easier one because there's a lot of makers here. Um, but the core of what we're gonna do is really get into rural America, get into the Midwest um, and truly go into places um, that just there is no, there is no, there's these amazing people that, that are makers, that are craftspeople, but there's no opportunity. Right. They have a desire to work. They have the work ethic. It's just yeah. as, um, the ship has passed them by. The ship has passed them by or the, the way that we, the, we all have to look in the mirror, the way that we have decided we want to buy consumer products, clothes, watches, computer goods, wallets, glasses, um, wood products, the way we want to buy those is cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And if yeah. you're going to do that, not only are you hurting the American workers, but you're actually hurting the workers who are making those overseas. You're not giving an Asian person a fair wage. Mm -hmm. And the majority of those people are women yes. who are the, uh, and, and we could go, and that's a whole nother problem. And we shouldn't discount them because they're in another yeah. country. But we need to own the, I like the conversations that focus on the true cost of our consumption, right? Like yeah, the prices yeah are down, exactly. But price, you know, the labor shifts around the world. But if one is, I believe, as I know you do, if, if you give the consumer the information, the knowledge in an easily accessible way yeah. about the true cost of their consumption, hands down, they'll make the right decision. The right decision, in my mind, is having less have yes. quality, cherish it, steward it, so to speak. Um, we used to, I joked when I was at Christie's running sustainability there that we were the original recycler. 250 years, you know, buy yeah. good quality. <laughs> you can sell it. But the same applies here. Like, you, uh, I'm, and by the way, I'm going onto your site to buy my Pasco after this. Um, awesome. Uh, cherish it, right? Yeah. Share it. Uh, and that's well, what you do. 100%. And, and one of the things that we're going to kick off as after we get uh, our pods up and, and optimize, over, hopefully by mid this year. And so, as I'd said, you buy, you're gonna go buy a pair of pants. You buy these pants from us and something happens to them. You rip them, um, the zipper doesn't work the way you want. Instead of sending it back to a nameless company, we're actually gonna connect you with the actual maker who made them. Wow. And you're gonna be able to have, a, and we'll facilitate this whole conversation, but you'll be able to send them back to that maker to have them repaired and that maker will send them back to you. I mean, how awesome is that? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that truly goes to this idea of 
knowing where your products come from. And it was like, it's, it's really comes from the farm to table movement, right? We all, de- a lot of us decided we want to know where our food came from. Mm-hmm. I, I, would, our, I would urge everyone to actually understand where your consumer products come from because you vote every day with your money. Um, and if you turn a blind eye to that, you're turning a blind eye to social causes, environmental causes, um, and personally to your own community causes. And your longevity, you're going to be selling yourself short and your, your family short in future generations. Yeah, not, it's not the future. The future is going to be that we're going to know where our consumer products come from. We're going to do more with less. And we're going to demand that of the companies we do business with. Here. Or they should go away. Yeah, or uh, those businesses should go away, no matter how big they are. Absolutely. And again, many of my audience members, it's the, these are the investors, the employees, and the consumers of today and tomorrow. So yeah. brands are on notice. So ladies and gentlemen, again, today we've had as our guest, Patrick Robinson, Robinson rather, who's the pet, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, today we've had as our guest, Patrick Robinson, who is the founder and CEO of Pasco. Check it out online at P-A-S-K-H-O.com. And uh, Patrick, I'm going to let you have the final word on today's episode of The Caring Economy. What say you to, to all our listeners and to the world writ large about your purpose, your passion, or anything else? Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge believer. I've, I'm doing what I'm doing now, and I'm a huge believer of community. Um, and I'm a huge believer in it. Some people tell me it's a little corny, but I don't believe it is, that we as a, a, a community, and a community can be your city, it could be your neighborhood, it can be the United States, um, it could be the world. But if we can, if we can start seeing some of the big problems that we all see, and really, really start going after solutions, um, I think that we could make some big changes and some big, some big bold steps into the future of the future that we're we're all envisioning and dreaming, which is a lot more equitable for a lot more people. So it's all about community. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, and I believe it starts with looking the other in the eye, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, looking acknowledging their humanity. Yep, yep. We 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 have to. And my my idea of community is a conversation amongst different opinions and different ideas and different age groups, um, different skin tones, different he she's, different everything. Yes. Um, we've we have to stop. We have to stop putting ourselves into silos and buckets and, and um, yeah yeah and decide that that I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat I don't care if you live in Wisconsin or live in Detroit or live in Europe uh, we've we've got to start seeing this world uh, completely different mm-hmm. and if COVID didn't wake us up to that nothing will I hear you. I agree uh, completely. I think of your your reference earlier to the artisanal work in Alabama and the quilt makers, and that is what is a metaphor for this nation historically. And if we can yep. take the pieces, see the whole quilt, and appreciate the beauty, the warmth, the um, the pleasure that it brings us, then we're all better for it. So thank yeah. you, Patrick yeah. Robinson, for joining us today, and please come back soon. Well, thank you for having me. This was amazing. <laughs>